This is a Tech Briefs Media Group podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of NASA Tech Briefs Who's Who at NASA podcast. Today we're speaking with Sam Ortega, manager of the NASA Centennial Challenges Program, an initiative that drives progress in aerospace technology of value to NASA's missions by encouraging the participation of independent teams, individual inventors, student groups, and private companies. Most recently, the program's Green Flight Challenge awarded the largest prize in aviation history. Mr. Ortega, thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Thanks, Billy. Sam, let's start with that. What is the Green Flight Challenge? Well, the Green Flight Challenge was, our, like you said, our, our latest challenge we conducted, and the purpose was to really push the innovation levels for green flight aviation, for green aviation itself, uh, mostly in the, in the general aviation world. And what we were pushing for was for teams to manufacture or build an aircraft that would basically have the efficiency of a Prius that would get 200 passenger miles per gallon of gas or gas equivalent, but would be as fast as a Corvette. It has to fly at over 100 miles per hour. So uh, it was general aviation aircraft, but it, it really pushed in the limits for them. Prior airplanes would only have the efficiency of maybe 40 gallons. 40 passenger miles per gallon as opposed to the 200 that we were trying to shoot for. And and, and who won the challenge? Can you describe their aircraft? Sure. Um, uh, Jack Longlin, from, as a professor at Penn State University, uh, he acquired some technology uh, from a company named Pipistro. And what they did is uh, they were able to configure an aircraft that had two fuselages, so basically two areas separate areas where passengers would sit side by side. They were connected by a center wing, and then they had you know, the typical left and right wings out from, out, off of either side of the fuselage itself. So uh, it, it really was kind of a unique-looking aircraft, uh, and, it, and it performed just fantastic. Uh, you know, when we first put the Challenge 4, people, and we put out the idea that you needed 200 passenger miles per gallon equivalent for the, uh, to win the competition, we were scoffed at. That, that was an impossible feat to be achieved two years ago. Um, here we are today, we ran the challenge, and not only did uh, Jack Langland win with the Pipistrelle aircraft, but he uh, achieved 403 passenger miles per gallon, so he doubled what the requirement was. You said that the idea was scoffed at. What have been the challenges in creating efficient aircrafts, and why has there been a doubt about that? You know, I, I think just the idea that uh, people were thinking of what we've done in the history, historically. Um, when we did aircraft improvements, uh, it, was, it was more for speed, more for um, uh, power. You know, the, the new world order for general aviation is going to be things of green aviation, operability, um, easy flight maintenance, reduction in flight maintenance, reduction in parts on the aircraft. That's the new challenges that are out there. So when you look at the old historical model of uh, competitions and how or not competition, but the old historical model of aircraft technology, you know, we're, we're, we're well advanced. You know, we're doing great. But when you look at the new paradigms for these ideas of less parts and, and more fuel-efficient aircraft, we're right at the very beginning of, the, of that era. Can you talk a bit about uh, the competitors? Who else was competing in this challenge? Yeah, actually, we had 14 teams sign up for the competition uh, two years, in the last two years. Uh, back in June, July timeframe was when the competition was originally going to be run, but we got to that point and only 10 teams said that they would be eligible to compete 
And even at that point in time, in June and July, they said that we're not, we don't have our flight airworthiness certificates from the FAA yet. We can't compete. Give us two more months. So uh, we, we consulted with the people that were conducting the challenge for us, the CAFE uh, Foundation there in Santa Rosa, California, and we opted to go ahead and postpone the competition for two months to give those teams that extra 60 days to get everything in order for their certifications. When we finally got to the competition day, we had uh, five teams that said they were going to compete. The day before the competition, one team had to drop out. And then the day of the competition, we actually lost another team due to not meeting all of the rules. So when we finally competed, we only had three eligible teams in the competition. Um, there was uh, Team Phoenix out of uh, Florida, Melbourne, Florida. They had their aircraft. There was E-Genius. They're from Ramona, California, and then Pipistrelle, uh from Penn State or from Pennsylvania. And from a technology perspective, what uh, what is the key to aircraft efficiency? What were the innovative technologies that you've seen uh, within with these three competitors? Um, for the three competitors, the two competitors that were actually one, E-Genius and Pipistrelle, they they really pushed hard on efficiency of electric motors, electric batteries, uh, using the state-of-the-art batteries they could get a hold of at this point in time, as well as uh, go ahead and doing functional structural mechanics. So you would design into the vehicle itself structural strength so you don't have um, a structural member that isn't performing a flight function. You know, the wings themselves are inter inter integral parts to where the shape and the, and the strength come from each other. You're really trying to reduce the weight by doing that. And that was one, one technology they used. A lot of teams were using uh, composite materials for weight reduction. Um, electric motors, you know, the, the efficiency of an electric motor to convert the power to uh, torque on a, on a shaft for turning the propeller is much greater on an electric motor than it is on a uh, gas motor. And so that's why the, the two, I, I believe the two winners were electric aircraft. Um, the one competitor that didn't meet all of the rules to be able to compete was an entry from Embry-Riddle, mm -hmm. and they actually flew an aircraft that was the world's first gasoline electric hybrid aircraft. Um, so it, they really pushed the envelope of the technology where they were using gas to take off and electricity to cruise. Um, very innovative materials, very innovative technology. Uh, needed a little more, more work to be able to get to, to the realm of being competitive at that level of 200 and greater than 100 miles an hour. But nonetheless, uh, you know, a, a huge thing for a student team to come in and to be able to compete at that same level as, uh, as these aircraft here. So what's next for uh, the winners as far as their technology is concerned? Well, that's one of the things there with Centennial Challenges Program. Uh, our three objectives are innovation, which is the obvious thing, getting the technology, communications, getting the word out, and then opportunities. We want to make sure and provide opportunities to the nonprofit organization that runs the competition, but also to the competitors, even those that didn't actually make it all the way to the competition. So all 14 teams, we want to make sure that they have an opportunity to either create a business model, start a company, to grow their business base if they already have a company, or to diverge their business base to a totally different area. Uh, you know, they had great improvements in electric motors or in battery technology. Start seeing if they can uh, spin those into usage for automobiles, for 
ATVs for any other technology uh, uh, platform out there that they might be able to uh, create a business model out of and create more economy for their company. So um, for these companies right now, you know, I haven't heard the details of where uh, Pipistrelle or eGenius would care to go. Um, you know, we had some discussions there at the competition. I know uh, Eric Raymond, their eGenius, is uh, pretty excited about wanting to improve even more so the aircraft that they have and then try to get it into a marketable product. So, you know, they're just using the money that they've got to try to make their aircraft even more uh, marketable. Given the results, what do you see as the possibilities for a new airplane industry? Um, yeah, I think right now where we're at is the same place where the Prius was eight years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the communities at, at that time, you know, say eight, nine years ago for the Prius, were looking at it going, you know, that's kind of neat. Don't know if I'd pay the premium price to have one in my driveway. Um, you know, it, it, I don't know. It's just, it, it might be good. And But here we are now, eight, nine, ten years later, and it's, it's a very common product. Everybody, there's, it's not uncommon to see one driving home from work. I mean, they're, they're, they're readily available. The, the people see the, the advantages of having, uh, say, a Prius or a hybrid vehicle. We've even converted them up to where you have hybrid trucks and SUVs. So the idea of general aviation, where could it go from here, uh, my hope is that this would help foster some momentum behind general aviation to take those next steps, take those next moves into promoting uh, efficient aircraft transportation. Uh, one of the biggest complaints you have with aircraft transportation is noise level, that was, and that was one of the levels within this competition. They had to be uh, 78 decibels from 250 feet away, so it, it had to be pretty much the equivalent sound of a dishwasher, you know, when you're standing 250 feet away from the aircraft. So it's it's very quiet compared to, say, a regular uh, two-seater Cessna or a Piper Cub flying around. And yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that this competition will push general aviation companies to start considering or thinking, you know, maybe there is a market out there. Maybe we should start looking into developing um, electric aircraft or, or hybrid aircraft and go into that, that marketplace. Right. How important is it to, for these contests to stimulate private, private investment? You know, since we cater, we're not cater, but we, we push for independent inventors for the most case and, you know, small businesses, you know, student groups, individuals to compete at these levels. Most of them, it is a small business. So the important part is, again, getting them to advance the economy of their company, you know, to, to get some more business base for them to make it more profitable for them to run their company. So, um you know, I, I hope that that's what the, a lot of the end products will be, is that an expansion at a smaller scale for multiple companies to be able to grow. Now, you're the program manager of the NASA Centennial Challenges Program. Can you just give us an idea of, of the NASA Centennial Challenges Program, what it is? Yeah, sure. Um, the Centennial Challenges Program itself began back in around the 2005 timeframe. Um, it was named after the Centennial of Flight, the 100th anniversary of flight with the Wright Brothers with the thought being that when the Wright brothers flew, you had other people standing on the beach watching, and they kind of watched the airplane fly and thought, eh, it's neat, but, you know, I've got my horse. I don't need that. Mm-hmm. And yet, 20 years later, 30 years later, people look back, and that was, a pivotal, that was a pivotal moment. That was a huge turning point in technology. 
and the things that we've got done just in 20, 30 years after the Wright brothers flew and what was going on then was just huge, especially now 100 years later. We're, we're flying in space and coming back and landing on the ground. So uh, what we hope to do with Centennial Challenges is find those technology roadblocks that are, exist for NASA, for the nation, and, and work together to create a challenge to help resolve those issues, to help us find those turning points that people may come to a challenge and go, and that's kind of neat, but five years from now, ten years from now, people look back and go, that was a huge turning point. If we hadn't have done that competition and advanced the technology, we wouldn't even be halfway to where we are today um, because of that, because of the technology advancements we made from that competition. So that's what we're really trying to do is really push the innovative thinking for problems that would help solve uh, to, to advance us here for roadblocks that might exist five years from now, ten years from now. And what is your day-to-day -day work with the program? Well, I have six challenges ongoing right now. So day-to-day, -day, I'm, I'm continually talking with our other nonprofit organizations that we've signed agreements with to conduct these challenges, um, working with them to generate rules, working with them to generate, generate the team agreements, um, starting to plan out uh, our media plans for how we're going to promote the challenges themselves, um, and just trying to make sure on a day-to-day -day basis we're meeting our three objectives of technology, innovation, communication, and uh, opportunity for each of the teams and for the allied organizations themselves. What other challenges and contests are in the works? Um, we have some coming up for robotics, a couple of robotic items. One is the sample return robot, where it's an autonomous robot. And that one's being done by Worcester Polytech Institute up in Boston, mm -hmm. just outside of Boston at Worcester, Mass. And they're going to be doing that in June of next year. And what it is, the autonomous control is the idea that instead of having somebody on the ground here at Earth with a 90-second delay trying to control a robot on a, a, a planet or maybe on the moon, you want to have the ability to just drop the robot. It goes off by itself autonomously, maneuvers around, doesn't get stuck anywhere, doesn't get trapped, doesn't fall over, tip over, and finds samples knows already by the algorithms in its software that's an important sample or that's not an important sample. Collect it, come back to a designated point, and then you can fly it back home. And all of that would be done autonomously. So the, the technology, the challenge we have out there is basically the algorithms to establish an autonomous robot for it to move around a very large area um, and avoid the obstacles, collect known samples, collect unknown samples that it has to discern whether it's something important. Um, obviously, we're doing it on Earth, so you know they're going in an open area. If there's a pine cone, you know, no, I, we know the pine cone is naturally existing here. We don't need that, you know. But it needs to grab something else, and, and whether it be a, a block of aluminum with something etched on it, and they can say, "Yep, that's that's a sample of interest. I, I know that," and store it and bring it back. So that would be one competition with a total prize purse of one and a half million. Um, we also have the night rover competition, which is a robot that's trying to explore. Um, power storage systems. Right now, when our robots are, like if we send a robot to the moon, it has 14 days of daylight and 14 days of darkness. And right, we'd have to shut down and not do any operations for 14 days at night because we don't have the power systems to run the, run the robot at night. But we want to try to solve that problem. Have somebody develop a power system, whether it be a battery, a power cell, a, liquid, a gel battery, a flywheel, you know, whatever, um, and be able to run the robot all, all night for 14 days and then run it all day for 14 days nonstop. 
And so see if we can't develop and improve the power storage technology levels. And obviously that has applications all over the place. If you can reduce the size and weight of a battery, it'd be helpful for green aviation. It'd be helpful for automobile industry, for anybody that's using electric uh, power sources. And then we have some other ones that are related to uh, space elevator type technology, strong tethers and, and power beaming, which is the wireless transmission of power. Um, we have another one that we're, we're going to be starting here very shortly called the NanoSat Launcher, where there's a huge business base for microsats, cubesats, little satellites that weigh a kilogram, five kilograms, ten kilograms. But there is no dedicated launch platform to put those into orbit. And so we're running a challenge for the first team to develop a rocket that can launch uh, anything greater than a kilogram for a single orbit and twice in one week. So that, that'll, that'll be one of our, our, night, our nanosat launch competition coming up. That's great. And just bring it back to aviation to wrap things up a bit. Yeah. Um, what would you say is the state of aviation now? How much work um, still needs to be done from an efficiency standpoint? Um, in the U.S., I think there's minimal effort being uh, done right now for general aviation uh, efficiency uh, improvements. Um, right now, I think Boeing has been doing some, some significant work with their development, though, for larger aircraft efficiency improvements. But I think we have a long way to go. Um, there's some other countries out there that are, that are further advanced uh, in their efficiency airplane uh, design and development. And uh, I think we, we can, we, we in the United States have a long way to go. And I think it'd be great for, to have a, get the momentum behind it and start doing a push to become the leaders for efficient aviation. Well, thanks, Sam. I think this work is really interesting. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you.